Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here today, this morning. A junior church, four years old through fourth grade. You're dismissed to walk up here for junior church, four years old through fourth grade. Can meet right over here. While they're doing that, I want to just give a couple of quick announcements. Um, communion leaders are going to be doing things a little bit different. As you kind of saw, there's a little confusion here. Um, all communion people who are helping, especially the communion leaders, we're going to have a quick meeting in the back right after service just to help communicate that because we're growing and we're having to adjust some things again, which is a great thing, so uh, just be prepared for that. Next Saturday is our work day. I, I just want to talk about that real quick. We're going to have people coming in and, and doing a whole bunch of tasks that need done. There is a list on the back table. So what we want you to do is not take the list, but take out your phone, take a picture of the list, and then you can bring tools or whatever is needed to help get these tasks accomplished. Um, we were going to start it at 10. Well, a couple of the guys said we're coming here at 8. So they're going to be here earlier, so it doesn't start at 10. It starts when you get here at 8 or after because there's several good projects on there. This isn't just cleaning or weeding. We have real projects as well, so we're going to be trying to do all of this, and so please be ready for that. The last announcement I need to say, this is a please do not applaud type announcement, okay? I will not be preaching next week. Instead, Jim Platner will be. So I'm having surgery on my shoulder. Um, this Thursday, and I've been told that I'll still be on too much medication to preach properly. Um, Croc wants me to go ahead and preach because who knows what I'll say, and that'd be really fun, but we don't want that on YouTube. Uh, so um, just be coming, be ready to hear from Jim. Um, I'm excited to hear from that as long as I'm coherent. Um, I'm looking forward to that. So we're continuing our, earthly, our, our yearly theme of of foundation, um, the idea that we want to build our faith on the only true foundation of Jesus. And we'll have, when we do that, we'll have an unwavering faith. Our theme verse for the year is 1 Peter 2, 4 through 8. Um, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in sight of God, a chosen and precious, you yourselves are like stones being built upon a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through uh, Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. I want to challenge you with this scripture section here. Um, as I was reading this and writing this sermon this week, I thought, we need to have this verse, these verses up front. So I want to challenge you to print this out on a piece of paper and post it somewhere where your family can see it. Whether it's on the wall, if it's in the bathroom mirror, not on the fridge, because everything gets lost on the fridge. So find some place, even if it's on your your dash of your car, so that you can see this and we can keep praying that we build our lives, our faith, on the foundation of Jesus, which is our theme this year. Um, So far this year, we've looked at the Old Testament and saw how Jesus was talked about and prophesied about. 
We looked at how Jesus uh, came into the history of mankind at the Christmas event. We just went through Easter, and having a, we jumped to the end of his ministry there. And now we're going to back up again into Jesus' life, into the beginning part of his ministry. So a little context before content. Israel at this time has been without a king, an earthly king, for about 400-some years. They were subjected to the surrounding kings and kingdoms. And even though there's a 400-year gap, there were people who were still hoping for the promise of the coming Messiah. They knew someday God would deliver on his promise to give that everlasting king. This is what was fulfilled that first Christmas night. But probably next to the birth of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus is one of the most significant events in his life, his earthly life. At the baptism of Jesus is when we basically are introduced to who he is and his ministry into this world. He begins to do his miracles, and more importantly, he begins to teach the disciples at this point and beyond about who he is and what he's come to do. They're going to be encouraged to become disciples following his model. That's the bottom line in the New Testament, that we all become disciples of Christ. Through Jesus' words and through the message found in the Gospels, we're being encouraged to become full-fledged disciples. And Jesus' baptism is found in all four Gospels. And again, if it's repeated, it is important. Through the years and various beliefs, there have been many things and thoughts and taught uh, teachings about baptisms. And because of that, there is confusion. Confusion circles around baptism. Here's how much confusion there is. The United House of Prayer for all people in Charlotte, North Carolina, faced a dilemma. They had a large group of people they wanted to baptize at their yearly baptismal service, but their church building and their local swimming pool was under renovations and could not be used. So, under the circumstancing, they could not immerse every person who wanted to become, wanted to get baptized. So they thought, I have a great idea. Let's do it this way. A newspaper article actually reported it. When 2,000-some people want to be baptized, that's a lot of dunking and a lot of time. Clearly, baptism, go ahead and show that picture, by the fire hose is a lot more efficient. The elders, assisted by local firefighters, sprayed a fine mist from the fire hose over the baptismal candidates lined up in the church parking lot. That's kind of silly. But is it adequate? Is it biblical? Is it right? I'll never forget the day I decided that I wanted to be baptized. I decided first and my parents talked me out of it. And then I got mad a couple weeks later and I said, I want to be baptized. And they're like, that's what we want to make sure, that it wasn't by just an emotional response or you're doing it because other kids did. So I was in this little church in Wabash, Indiana. I talked it over with my parents, and then I had to talk it over with our minister, Bob Monroe. And that Sunday morning, I went forward. I gave my confession of faith. I went back into the behind the stage and into this little room that smelled like moldy old papers filled with these old filing cabinets. And then we walked up, the, up into the stairs and into the baptistry, and I was standing there in front of everybody, 
And I was a little anxious because all these eyes were on me and there were bugs floating in the water. And I, I didn't really like that. One of them was floating or moving. And it, it was a spider. So then, um, my dad, who was, was baptizing me, he came over and uh, he, he wrapped his arm around me and I, I put my hands in his and plugged my nose and, and he said the, the phrase and they dunked me underwater and I came up. And I, I do need to say this, I came up wiping my eyes and my mom initially thought that I was overcome with emotion. I wanted to make sure the spider wasn't on my face. That, that's really what I wanted to do. Um, but I, I'll never remember, forget that moment. I have seen hundreds and hundreds of baptisms over the years. I have been honored to be a part of many. One of my favorite ones I got to do was this punk kid at Lake James Camp. Oh, he just, oh, you know, one of those kids you're like, if I could, if I could smack you. But he turned on Wednesday and he started Instead of fighting Christ, he was fighting to get closer to him. And that Friday, I got to baptize him. And I went and talked to his mom, and I said, man, he's been, he's been a pain. She goes, oh, you don't know it. And so I shared with her what was going on, and, and I said, I want to do this a little different, if that's okay. And I told her my plan, and she loved it. She grabbed her phone and was ready. And so we walked out there in the pool, or in the lake, and, and I did the whole confession. And I said, now, I want to tell you, I want to hold you under to make sure all the sins are gone. And he laughed. So I dunked him underwater and counted one, two, and then his eyes popped open under the water. And then I pulled him up, and it was fun, and we laughed about it. Just about a year ago or so, um, little Lila was showing people around the church, one of her friends, and they came up to the baptistry here. And a friend asked what this is, and she says, when people believe in Jesus, you have to drown on purpose. <laughs> That's theological, let me tell you. There is a lot of different events and stories that we have about our own baptisms. Your story may be a little different than mine, but all baptisms are very similar. Baptism is a defining moment in a believer's life. Baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. It signifies a change in culture, and it celebrates the union of a sinner with the Savior. And sadly, baptism has become the center of a controversy amongst Christians. And because of this, there becomes two dangers. Two extremes. Either we make baptism way too important, or we make it too unimportant. We go to either side of it. And there is a lot of confusion about how to baptize people. Some people say all you have to do is be sprinkled with water. Others say you have to pour the water on people. Another group says that you can just spray water with a fire hose. Some say the act isn't necessary, that all you need to do is say some words, while others contend you must be immersed completely underwater. The form of baptism, the how-to, has been heatedly debated, and it has caused division. Then there's the confusion about the purpose of baptism. Some people say that you should be baptized, but it's only an outward sign of an inward grace. Others baptize children and babies because they think they are born with sin and we must cleanse them. 
Many others will only baptize adults. Some will baptize for the remission of sins. Others baptize to fulfill all righteousness. Um, to, as some other people do it as a ritual to become a member at a church. Some feel like that you must rebaptize if you've grown in your faith and you realize, hey, I didn't understand that much. Well, let's dunk you again. Others have other reasons. There are many reasons why people baptize today. There's a church south of the states, in the southern states. Two churches in the same town posted articles in their newspaper one week, the local Baptist church and the local church of Christ. They were both debating the essentials of baptism. One says, I'm saved because I'm baptized. The other one says, I'm baptized because I'm saved. And I want to say they're both right. And they're both wrong. One makes it way too important, and one makes it unimportant. I'm not sure any scholar or saint will eventually appreciate what the moment of baptism means in heaven. The way that a eruption of party explodes in heaven when one person is lost and they come to Christ and there is a celebration and yet the dismal feeling in heaven when Christians start fighting. Is that person saved yet or not? Did they do it this way or they did? And again, we need to come back and say it's not about what I think not what you think. It's not what my grandparents did in their church. It's what Scripture says. And so that's what we want to do. Any words on baptism, including mine, are simply a human effort to explain a holy event. In churches, debates about the essentiality of baptism have been common, yet serious discussions about baptism's essence are very rare. We like to argue about these things instead of what it truly means to us and what it means to God. And in my opinion, arguing over whether or not baptism is essential to salvation reveals very little. But looking into its essence actually opens our eyes to the truth of the Scripture and moves us closer with the Holy Spirit. I believe we do that by placing baptism where it should be. At the foot of the cross. At the place where we become and start growing more in our faith. Baptism... It's like a precious jewel. You, you can see it up on the screen. If you hit the button, it might turn. Maybe. Nope, never mind. Go back to it, please. Okay. Now, set a bar by itself. If you see a jewel, it's pretty. But what happens when you spin it? You see different faces of it, and, and it glimmers and sparkles in different ways. And I think baptism is a lot like that. Place baptism against the backdrop of our sin, and you turn it, and you see the light of the cross shining through it. Baptism at once reveals the beauty of the cross and the darkness of our own sins. Just like this gemstone has many faces, many sides, so does baptism, the cleansing, the burial, the resurrection, the death of the old, the birth of the new. And as a gemstone, it has no light. That gemstone doesn't produce its own light. Baptism itself, it holds no inherent power. Just as the gemstone refracts the light into the rainbow of colors, baptism reveals the many colors of God's grace. And in essence, baptism is, first of all, a symbol of reunion. 
Now, I didn't come up with these alliterative R words. I read it in a sermon, and then I, I took some stuff out of some commentaries, but I really like this first thing. It's a reunion. Baptism is important in its essence because it connects us. It reunites us with Jesus from sinner to Savior. And to understand and celebrate the intimate connection we share with Jesus, we have to go back a couple thousand years to the muddy shores of the Jordan River in Matthew chapter 3. Let's look at that. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it, kind of like my parents did. Am I the one who needs to be, um, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and setting, settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. The Jordan River... This muddy, gross river is very an, an unlikely event or place for a divine event. There's nothing extraordinary about this little tiny river. It was useful, but it wasn't anything miraculous or divine. Yet onto this ordinary stage, the Son of God steps out, wading into the muddy current. That was the lifeblood of these people. The cool waters just surrounding his knees, and, and he could feel the sediments coming up through his toes. It's easy to understand why John would hesitate. John was preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. That's what he was doing. And Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God. He was sinless. John did not want to baptize Jesus. And in fact, he says, I need to be baptized by you. He tried to talk him out of it. But Jesus said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. It is proper to fulfill all righteousness. That means baptism is part of fulfilling the righteousness that God desires. It's not optional. Jesus did not need to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins like John the Baptizer was doing. Instead, Jesus is setting a proper Christian model for baptism. Jesus is joining sinner to God. And as Jesus descends into the water, he is coming out onto our level. He is identifying himself with us. He is saying, I am fully man, and I can be that, res I can be that sacrificial lamb for you. I have denied all my divinity so that I can join you to God the Father. Baptism was for the immoral, the impure, the liars, the adulterers, the thieves, and yet Jesus willingly plunged into the water by saying, I am with them. That is awesome. In baptism, Jesus joins with humanity. He came to the river because we are sinners. He, washed, um, he was washed because we are dirty. He did what was right because so often we do what is wrong. He became like us so we could become like him. It's a reunion. And today when we are baptized, it's as if we're joining Jesus in that water. In fact, early Christians often decorated their baptistries with the scenes of Jesus' baptisms. 
I, you can go to a lot of these older churches and they'll have these scenes either in stained glass or painted in murals behind the baptistry. And it, it depicts him walking into the water or the dove coming down in the sunshine. Through faith and only through faith, the waters of baptism become a meeting place where we get to encounter Jesus himself. The Bible even says in Romans 6, 3, or have you not forgotten when we were joined with... Um, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. It is a reunion. It is a joining. And just as a wedding celebrates the fusion of two hearts, baptism celebrates the joining of two hearts, of sinner and Savior, and bringing them together. When you get married, do you always understand the implications of what a marriage is? No. If you did, you might not want to be married. I just heard this guy, he was, he was really struggling, and he went to his preacher, and he said this. He goes, I keep having this thought, I want, I want to live forever, and I want to find ways to do it, whether it's exercise and diets and medicines. And, and the, the minister looked at me and says, here's my advice, I want you to go get married. And he says, really? That'll cure? That'll cure this desire? He goes, well, yeah, once you're married, you won't want to live forever. By the way, that wasn't a Church of Christ Christian Church minister. I was like, oh my goodness. But we don't understand the implications. I mean, when you first get married, you're like, man, she can do no wrong. And she's like, man, I'm going to fix him. And it's not too long before we start getting at odds because we don't understand it all. Do they understand the challenge or the threat they'll face? No. But does that deter them from actually stepping into the relationship and going through with their commitment of marriage, being faithful to the end? That's what, that's what they do there. And when a willing believer enters the waters of baptism, do they know the implications of the vow that they're taking? Not truly. Does she know every challenge or temptation that's going to face? No. But both know that the love of God is on them and they are responding to God. And foremost, baptism is a symbol of that reunion. And I don't have to fully understand baptism to go through the beginning of it. Because as God grows me and leads me and teaches me, I will grow more and more in that understanding. Turn the gemstone from that reunion and then you'll see baptism becomes a symbol of repentance. Luke 3.3, 3. John went from the place to place, both sides of Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Peter repeated a similar sentiment on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.38. Peter said to them, because they just said, what do we do to be saved? And he said, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In both John's baptism there and the Christian baptism, there is a sign of repentance. Repentance isn't some made-up religious word. Repentance means to turn around and go a new direction. It actually comes from a culture of people where they were essentially nomadic and they were wandering around. They had no maps. There was no GPS. And it's easy to get lost when they were walking through the desert. And at some point, they have to realize this is the wrong way, and they had to repent and go back the other way. It was to turn back. When you say, I'm going in the wrong direction, I turn. The, the word repent literally means to turn. 
the prophet Ezekiel claims that God wants his people to to turn to him. Look what it says, Ezekiel 14.6. Therefore, tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent, turn, and turn away from your idols and stop your detestable sins. He's really saying, turn away from them and turn back to God. Isaiah 45 says this, turn to me, same word, repent, and be saved all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. All through the Bible, God pleads with His people to repent, to turn away from sins, failures, mistakes, to turn away from them and to turn to God. To trust God alone to save. Baptism is one of those marking points of turning. For those who clothe, choose to turn away from sin and turn and towards God. It's a stake in the ground that marks that turning point. It is here that I fully have turned. One time a young girl named Erin, who was usually a model of good behavior in the church, was particularly wiggly and giggly. And, and you know, we love kids. They, they make noises. You know why? Because kids make noises. That's what they do, right? Well, this little girl... Um, she was getting louder and louder. And after distracting all those around her for some time, ignoring her father's warnings, including the little... Okay? He picked her up to take her to an adjustment in the back room. You know what I mean. He was going to spank her. As he carried her, she started screaming while they're walking down the aisle, I repent! I repent! I repent! That's awesome. I wish I was in my service. Baptism is a symbol of repentance. It is something saying, I don't want to go that way anymore. I don't want to go back to that punishment. Don't take me back there. I want to go this way. That little girl knew what she was talking about. She just didn't know it. So it's a symbol of repentance. It's a symbol of reunion. Turn the baptism gem just a little bit more again, and we'll see it's a symbol of resurrection. The Jews saw baptism as a method of it maintaining ritual purification for the priests. There was a, a rite of passage to convert people into Judaism. John preached baptism with repentance. We need to understand, baptism wasn't a new thing in Scripture. But Jesus is going to add a whole new dimension and level to baptism as it came to a living picture of death, burial, and resurrection. Look what it says in Romans 6, 3, and 4. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, you were joined with Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may live new lives. Notice how it's linking all that together with baptism and new life, resurrection. Just as the waters of baptism provided Jesus a way to identify with us, they also provide us a way to identify with Him. The waters of baptism paint a vivid picture of our Christian faith. They plunge beneath the running waters. It's like death. That time I held that boy under the water, he couldn't breathe. That's why his eyes popped open. He knew he needed to come out. He knew that if I kept him there, it was over. And then I brought him out. And it was that new life. It's that resurrection. Rising into the air, the sunlight. And it's a symbol of resurrection. 
It's a powerful symbol of death, burial, and resurrection. It, it poses significant trouble, though, for those who were sprinkled as babies. Um, and remember, I, I just want to point out what Scripture says, okay? While it's great to dedicate a child to God, and I really see that when a lot of people want to dedicate their children, I, I love that idea. We're going to raise this child in the ways of the Lord. That is, I truly believe in that. But baptism is a decision individuals make for themselves, not for someone else. If I could get you saved by spraying you with water, you'd all leave church wet. But it's not based on my decision. It's based on yours. If you have been baptized, if you've been sprinkled as an infant, I want to say this. Be grateful that you had parents who cared enough that they wanted to set you apart for God. But don't neglect your personal chance for you to personally choose God. Don't neglect that. Don't reject their prayers and their, their, verse, or their love for you. And why would you not submit to a believer's choice in baptism? The symbolism of immersion is very compelling. Just as a person loves you, lowers you into the water, Christ lowers you into his pool of grace until every inch of you is covered, completely covered by his love and his grace. If you look at Colossians 2.12, it says, For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him you are raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. It is an important decision to make. Baptism apart from personal faith, hear this, baptism apart from personal faith means nothing. Baptism as an act of faith is filled with meaning and significance. And we need to understand that. It's not about what someone does to you. It's what you join with Christ in. So it signifies reunion with Jesus, repentance from sin, and a resurrection. But it also symbolizes rebirth. Rebirth is talked about many times in the Bible. In Titus 3 it says, When God our Savior revealed His kindness and His love, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates and renews our spirits. It's not the water. It is the Holy Spirit who does this. The invisible work of the Spirit is visually dramatized by the waters of baptism. So waters of baptism then symbolizes our spiritual birth into God's family. I've had lots of people say, when is a person... Just hold back on the slides for a moment. I've had a lot of people ask me, when is a person saved? Is it at this point, this point, this point? And you know what? I want to say, quit arguing about it. That's not the point. Some people say, you're not saved until you get here. And they always say it's like a wedding. When does the couple become a couple? Well, when they're dating, they're kind of a couple. And then when they're engaged, they're kind of a couple. Maybe it's when they sign the certificate. Maybe it's when they say, I do. Maybe when it's their honeymoon. When is it? Because we'll all disagree on that. Because that's not a good analogy. But here it keeps saying new birth. What if becoming a Christian is a whole lot more like birth? When is that child your child? When 
you start thinking about them, you know they're in there. The relationship's weird and different because you can't react. They can't argue with you, and it's so wonderful. And then as they start growing in there, and you can start feeling them, and, and you can see them pressing, and that relationship changes, they can hear your voice. So I remember when my children responded to me when they were in the womb. I loved that, that I could, but there was still a barrier. I couldn't hold them. And then at the birth, they came out and I got to hold them. They were still my child just as they were 10 minutes ago. But now the relationship is different because now they are here. Baptism is that birth of it. When do you become a child of God? At the beginning of your faith journey. When do you become an even closer one? At each step of it. My child was no less my child just because she or he were in the womb. And just because I'm in the faith part and haven't moved to the baptism part doesn't mean I'm not a child of God. It just means I haven't been born into that next part of the relationship. Okay, now let's get back to the script. Thank you. We've got to quit fighting over this. That's why... And here's the thing, I hear ministers fighting over this, and I, I'm so upset about it, because here we are Christians talking about the love and the grace of God, and we're fighting amongst each other while Satan is winning out in the world. And you know what? I want you to go to heaven. And by me saying, well, this is the proper and doc doctrinal thing, doesn't help you. But walking next to you and saying it's about Jesus, and then going here, it's about Jesus, and then here, it's about Jesus, and let's get Jesus out there. That's what this baptism is about. That's what we need to get back to. And when we are baptized, when we have that born again, Nicodemus got to see this. Uh, Jesus said it in Mark 10, 27. Jesus looked at them when he said, you must be born again. He's like, how? You can't be born again. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, that's impossible. You're right. Your mama don't want to give birth to you again. But with God, everything is possible. The only way a person can really, really start life over again is by being born again, born from above, by receiving God's life-giving Spirit, starting over maybe a physical impossibility. Thanks to Jesus and the Holy Spirit, it's a spiritual reality. Baptism represents a new start, a fresh start, a new life. And if all this is true, if baptism is so meaningful and so intimately connected with repentance, with faith, with belief and confession and the resurrection and the rebirth of Christ, it raises a whole bunch of questions. Questions like, what about those who have never been baptized? Is baptism absolutely necessary for salvation? Are my unbaptized friends or family members forgiven and not saved? What if my grandma was not baptized? And, is she not going to heaven? They, I don't want to be baptized because she wasn't, and I can't think she wouldn't go to heaven. When it comes to that question, those type of questions, I tend to side with Augustine. And I don't side with him on a lot of things, but he said this, It is not the absence of baptism, but the rejection of it that condemns. I love that. It's not the absence, but if you say, I am not getting baptized, now you're condemned. You're rejecting. But if you don't understand, oh, now we have room for growth, maturity. In other words, why isn't the person baptized? Some people reject baptism. They just don't want to do it. They, they just don't. 
that kind of resistance spells trouble for the soul and it reveals darker, deeper problems of the heart. We had this wonderful lady who does not, did not like to go underwater. And she wanted to be baptized and she, she told me as we were going in there, Don, you're going to have to do it quick because I don't want to go underwater. And so when I grabbed her back there, and this is an awkward one because I'm not in the water. I'm leaning over this ledge. I'm holding her. And she's kind of clinging to me. And I'm like, okay, on the count of three, one, two, and then I went. That way she wasn't ready. And then I pulled her up, and she was out of the water. She didn't like it. But she knew she needed it. She didn't reject it. She acknowledged, this isn't what I want. But she went to Jesus. And I can say this, that she's met him. She's in heaven now. And her faith journey started long before getting into that baptistry. And it has ended and now in eternity with Jesus. And here's the last question on that. If we are not willing to join Jesus in baptism... How can, be will, how can we be willing to join him in anything else? Jesus calls us and commands us to go talk to people about our faith. If I'm not willing to go stand with him and be dunked with him under the water and come out in that new faith, why would I be willing to do that? Why would I be willing to go overseas? Why would I be willing to use my finances for him? Why would I be willing to give up a Sunday morning? Why would I be willing to do anything that Jesus calls me? If we aren't willing to join Jesus in baptism, how can we join him in anything else? And if that isn't enough to convince you to be baptized, Jesus commands it. Jesus commands that baptism is essential. He commanded his followers to go out and make more disciples. And part of the disciple-making process, not the whole part, but part of it, part of the faith journey includes baptism. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do you do that? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He said, go and teach them. Teach them. Walk with them. Making disciples doesn't mean just sitting in a classroom. That means you walk in life with them. You grow with them. You experience things with them. You're doing all these things and lead them into faith, confession, repentance, baptism, and the new life of living in Him. He said, go do this. And the Greek is a command. It's an imperative. Go do this. You know when your mom said, go clean your room? Was that up for debate? Were you willing to say, well, I just have these other things to do? That's the imperative. Go. Go make disciples. Go teach. Go baptize. Go in my name. And if we reject his commands, we cannot call him our Lord. If I reject his commands of serving, if I reject his commands of ministry, if I reject his commands of teaching, of going, of baptizing, I cannot call him my Savior because I have rejected him. On the other hand, go back to some of those questions. Some people are never taught about baptism. Maybe it's because they died before reaching that baptistry. I had one person say, well, if you're in a, you're in a plane... 
and they're leading you to Christ, and that plane crashes. Will you go to heaven? I said, did it go in the ocean? But it's not baptism that saves you. That's part of the process of doing it. When I was adopted, it wasn't this is it. It was a whole process. I had to go talk to the, the lawyer. I had to go through a counselor thing. I had to stand before a judge. We had to have meetings. All of the process. It wasn't a one and done. They didn't just say, well, you didn't do all that, but it doesn't matter. We need to go through all of it. And if these people have not got to the baptistry in their faith, what if they put their faith in Jesus, they repent in their heart, but get attacked by a swarm of killer bees, because that was a real thing a couple of years ago, and they never get to baptize? Then here's what I want to tell you. If someone you knew loved Jesus and they didn't get to that point, would the God of love reject an honest, believing heart? Would the God of redemption Look at somebody who say, you know what, you didn't get to that point. You weren't led, you weren't taught properly yet. And say, too bad. I'm not God. I can't tell you what he would say. But based on the cross, based on Jesus' love for people, the resurrection, I don't see God, a God of mercy, kindness, condemn a seeking soul on a technicality. Remember, God knows from the beginning to the end. He knows you and He chose you long before you would choose Him. So again, I want to bring it to you this way. When does life begin? When does life begin for us? Right at conception. The Christians say that. That's why we protest abortion clinics. Specifically, we believe life begins at conception. If a mother loses her baby before giving birth, is that child any less a child? We lost a child. We, we had a child taken away from us in the womb. Is that child any less of a child than Austin? Now, Austin's a freak of nature at 6'5", and this one was a tiny thing. But they were still both my children. They still are both my children. In fact, we named that one DG. Right? Was it DG? DJ. That's right. Hey, you forget your kids' names, too. Don't, don't act like you don't. I know you do. Don't lie to me. I know where you live. That's what you do. We lost that child and we mourned. And we still talk about this child that one day we will meet this child face to face in heaven. This child is still mine. And if this person who didn't get to the point of baptism, but was still honestly seeking, who was still knocking on the door of heaven, who wanted the answers, I truly believe God's going to open up the gate and say, welcome home. He's not going to experience or she's not going to experience everything on this earth that God would have really wanted for him, but he's going to or she's going to experience the glories of heaven, which is what it's about. That's what this is supposed to be about. If baptism re represents a new birth, then we must concede that life began at the seeds of faith, at the conception of faith when it first started. I believe you belong to God from the moment faith is conceived in your heart. I believe as soon as you take a step, say, I believe there's a God, boom, you're in that, you're in that journey. You are saved and are being saved continually. But keep in mind, you can't live in the womb forever. 
You've got to be reborn in that next step. Baptism is an essential threshold that every believer must come to in order to experience the next chapter of the fullness of their faith. The inheritance that God promises to His children in the world. Baptism is not to be taken lightly, but it is not supposed to be zero-focused and we forget everything else. It is a willing plunge. And we didn't get into what the word means. It, 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 I'll just say it means to dunk. That's what it means, okay? That's why we want to do it here, because it's what Scripture says. And it is a willing plunge into the promise and the power of Jesus Christ. It embodies and represents the reunion with us and our Savior. It's repentance of sin. It's the resurrection with Christ and the rebirth into an eternal family. Rather than letting this beautiful act be a source of contention or division, we need to start celebrating each and every person in every part of their salvation story. And it's not just this one part that we celebrate. When I hear of somebody who has faith, hallelujah, we need to praise God. When I see somebody take a confession, I am just as excited. When I hear of a repentance and a baptism, it is just the same. It is all that growth in the next step. And as a church, we need to stand up and say it's about Jesus, not the waters. It's about Jesus and the steps that he is leading us through. And we need to quit arguing. We need to get united and start facing Satan the way he cannot be defeat, or he cannot win. And that is united on the foundation of Christ. And we need to do it now, church. We need to celebrate that there are God-loving people in the Church of Christ, the Baptist Church, and all these other churches. They are out there. Although we may not agree in every regard, we are reaching out, they are reaching out, making disciples, baptizing people in the faith journey. And it's an awesome, wonderful day anybody comes to Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, there are a few churches around here. They are not our competition. Satan is. And instead of fighting them, saying, well, we're better at this, we're better at this, we can do this, we teach this, forget looking at us and start looking at the lost world. Because Satan wants us to fight. He wants us at each other's odds. He wants us to have division here because part of baptism is unity. And he doesn't want us united. If you were baptized in the past... You're immersed. Do you remember that feeling when you came up, when you knew it was gone? I remember that feeling that sins are gone. They're gone. I am not bound by them anymore. And we need to celebrate and talk about that. Remember that and share. If you're baptized or sprinkled as a baby, maybe you've never been baptized at all. I don't want to push you in. A part of me does. I just want to get this done and let's get going. But maybe I want to nudge you a little closer to that water's edge. It's your decision. It's your decision to follow Jesus. It's your decision to believe in Him. It's your decision. But it is an important decision. It's so important that we know Dustin and I can't come up with all the answers and meet you. And, and he found this great resource, and we've got him here for people. You want to know more about baptism, and you don't. You feel a little awkward coming and talking to two guys, one of us. We'll send you home with a workbook. And it's not to check your work. It's just to lead you through some of those things so you could ask questions and, oh, here's the Scripture, not the thoughts that I have. 
not the thinking or teachings of the church, but this, what Scripture actually says. This is what the Bible says. And then it asks you some point-based questions. Um, you will not be perfect when you become baptized. Did you know that? You won't be perfect. It says so right here. Well, that's pretty cool. I'm good to know that. What does Romans 10, 9 through 10 tell us about baptism? It doesn't have the Scripture, so you know what you got to do? Look it up, which is a great thing to do. So we have these. We want you to know they're free. Because it's not about the walkers, it's about the relationship. So come and talk to us. We also have a kid's version, too, just so you know, that's got pictures, clip art in it. And for some of you adults, that might be the one you need. This is an important thing. You can tell that I'm very passionate about this. Because the relationship with Christ is so pivotal. And it starts at one point and it doesn't end ever. I didn't reach becoming the Christian at baptism. I reach it in heaven and guess what it does there? It still continues on. And so this is the relationship for eternity. And we need to make sure that's the focus. It's not me. It's not the church. It's not that. It is Jesus. And these are the ways we walk in His commands. Faith, confession, repentance, baptism, and living and walking in that new life. They all hinge and go together. Not one is more important. If you've never made that step, if you've never taken that journey, I just want to ask you, why wait? Why don't you talk to us? Let's stand and let's pray. God, we do thank you. God, I thank you that me being an imperfect person, you have allowed to come into faith, that you have allowed me to confess my sins and that you are my Lord, that you helped me into repentance, you led me into the waters, and more than that, you led me out and into a new life. You did not hold my sins to me. Thank you, God, for all the people who have started giving those sins back to you, who have turned away from the world and turned to you. God, help us as a church to stand on the foundation of your word. Forgive us when we put it on our thoughts, our ways, our traditions. Remind us it's about you. And as we come back to this time of worship, God, if move within us, if we need to make decisions, help us to take that journey, whether it's today or tomorrow, I ask God that you empower your spirit to move in the lives of the people here, that we would become the force that Satan trembles at, because we have you within us. And I praise you for that victory. And in Jesus we all pray. Amen.